This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. All right, welcome back to the show. Thanks to Mike Metter for joining us about uh, foundation and what the work they're doing. Again, that's MetterSmasters.org, M-E-A-D-O-R-S, Masters.org. Go get those concerts for Shane Smith and the Saints. They're terrific. Uh, we will have Brian Blackburn on in just one moment. Just wanted to let you let you know because we're not going to spend a lot of time on the uh, the dismal Rockies, but the season uh, continues to be dismal as Herman Marquez in his first game back today since uh, leaving with uh, inflammation in his right arm on April 10th made it to the fourth inning and then uh, ended up throwing a pitch, uh, hurting his arm. Guy was hurt clearly behind the mound. They took him off uh, the game after that. Basically signaled kind of the same arm and uh, literally. Uh, took off the hat glove, kind of fell over, and just dropped the baseball and let it roll along the grass. Uh, Marquez kind of uh, looked pretty down as he walked off the field. So, obviously, a uh, major concern there for a bad Rockies team. And uh, that's that's unfortunate for Marquez, who uh, really could stand to have a, a bounce-back season. And uh, unfortunate that that seems to not be in the cards, at least anytime soon. Hopefully, it is not too serious. But we do look at the Never Nuggets, who advanced after... Uh, winning their game last night, maybe not as easily as everyone might have uh, hoped, but they did get the job done, and now they will move on to face the Phoenix Suns in the Western Conference semis. That will start on Saturday. Joining us to break it down from Ally Sports, Ryan Blackburn, the host of the Pickaxe and Roll uh, podcast. And uh, when, when you're talking about a guy that's working, he's up there at midnight putting it together, waiting for uh, Nicole Yokes to speak an hour after the game and then going live on the podcast. Follow him on Twitter at NBA Blackburn. Uh, Ryan, I hope you got a little bit of sleep. But I, about the first thing I would ask you is your takeaways not only from that game, but what they might mean for a series against a dangerous, dangerous Phoenix Suns team. Yeah, good to hear from you guys. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I do think this series was really impressive from Denver in a number of ways. They were challenged at the rim. They were challenged uh, with by Nikhil Alexander-Walker on Jamal Murray. They had to navigate some waters. They had to figure out throughout this series, different ways to navigate different things. And, and ultimately, they, they win the series 4-1. They did lose the game in overtime in Game 4, but they bounced back in Game 5, even if it wasn't the perfect performance. The great thing is you don't need perfect performances in the playoffs. You just need to put wins up on the board. And I do think that this Nuggets team, they've, they've found ways to win games in different ways. That's probably the most important thing. You can win with the pretty offense. You can win with stifling defense. You can win in the clutch. You can win going away. There's a lot of ways that Denver can win right now, and I think that's going to prepare them for the rest of the series. Uh, For those who tend toward uh, either glass half empty or glass half full, uh, there was a lot to choose from last night. Uh, For those who believe – uh, as you have outlined, that uh, the glass is uh, at least half full, maybe more than half full. There's the fact that over the last 37 minutes, 54 seconds of the game, the Nuggets outscored the Timberwolves 100-82, to 82, essentially a blowout type of score. And even after they had fallen behind early, before halftime, they went on a 36-20 to 20 run over a stretch of 13 minutes and 54 seconds. The glass half empty, though, is the one that uh, takes note (laughs) of the fact that they were down 27 to 12 
in the first place against a team that even in game four seemed on the verge of quitting and quite frankly was never all that good apart from Anthony Edwards in this series that didn't really have anybody else who could consistently hurt the Nuggets and in fact uh, Towns and Gobert ended up both fouling out and um, being pretty clearly identified as the goats of the series and I don't mean uh, the greatest of all time in the series so uh, you do have your choice and uh, even Michael Malone after the game was joking that uh, the Nuggets arrived for the proceedings at about the same time most of the fans did very late yeah I think and I think that's probably the the salient point here you have both that, where where I think the crowd was pretty late or a lot arriving due to the weather last night. Oh, of course. Traffic downtown. The Nuggets ugly. didn't have that excuse. <laughs> they certainly did not. Uh, but what I do think is that, like you said, I, I think they thought that the Timberwolves would roll over a little bit uh, as they were close to in game four and were kind of willed back into it by Anthony Edwards. The Nuggets thought that they would roll over a bit in game five and would be happy with kind of that, that gentleman's sweep. And they, they certainly were not. They they blitzed Denver at the beginning of this game. Denver couldn't get any shots to drop. And then you look up at the end of that first quarter, and after all was said and done, Denver was only down seven. And it, it was it was definitely, it felt worse than that in the arena. There's no doubt about that. But uh, Denver, they, they still find ways to rise to the occasion. They still find ways to push past that but it's one of the things that they're going to have to grow out of you you can't have those kinds of stretches against the phoenix suns that's just not going to fly point there's no way yes no way in hell that they will win that series this next time around if they play that way against the phoenix suns Uh, this is going to be closer to a war than it is a, a a friendly battle between two division rivals in minnesota and denver it is only fair though to point out uh, in favor of what you've described about the Nuggets, that the Phoenix Suns scored, I believe, 18 straight points toward the end of the third quarter last night and had, I believe, a 20-point lead in the fourth quarter and almost blew the ball game. So it seems to be in the air or in the water. Uh, the Boston Celtics in exactly the same position the Nuggets were in last night, up three games to one. At home for game five, up 13 with 5.53 left, and they blow the ball game. So it is happening to other teams, too. And your point about not needing perfect performances is is bearing out in virtually every game we see in these playoffs. Very few perfect games being pitched or even close to no hitters pitched by anybody. Absolutely, and you, you can look at Milwaukee. Milwaukee and the way down that they've played so far. Yep. Down 3-1 against the Miami Heat and an incredible Jimmy Butler performance in that game. Of four. course, but they also uh, had a huge lead in the final half of the fourth quarter. And Absolutely, absolutely. And you, you can point to the Philadelphia 76ers, despite the fact that they won 4-0, they didn't do anybody any favors in, in anybody's belief in them in that particular series. There's... There's not a lot of teams, and I mean, you could look at Memphis, you could look at Sacramento and Golden State. Definitely Over Memphis. Teams look Definitely. shaky. Yeah. Like there are, there is like, I think the larger prevailing thought for the NBA right now is that parity is alive and well, 
Yes. And, and there are no dominant teams. You have to rise to the occasion within each of your series. You have to play well in enough moments in order to survive in advance. But there are no 2016-2017 Golden State Warriors. There's no 96 Bulls. There's just not that level. No 60-win no teams. No 60-win teams this year. So, by definition, no dominant teams. 100%. And this this Nuggets team, they, they've had moments where they've looked like that dominant team that I think during the – December, January, February run in the regular season, we thought, hey, this is the best team in the league. They've played like that. And then they have enough moments before that that point and after that point, uh, March and April especially, where they looked a little bit shaky. And that's just kind of emblematic of, of who this team is. But I also just think it's emblematic of where the NBA stands right now. Whether you think that the team can rise to the occasion or not in the playoffs is up to you. But I think that the Nuggets have earned the benefit of the doubt, and they are going to push the Suns, despite the Suns, I, I think, being favored in, in this upcoming series. Right. What does a win of this series look like? If the, the Nuggets come through it, and no matter how long it takes, as you point out, they get the W, what are we saying the Nuggets did well? Well, they're going to have to switch and guard and, and try to keep Joker on the floor in pick and roll, like defensive pick and roll situations. That's going to be the thing that the Suns are targeting ad nauseum throughout the entire 48 minutes or, or as long as Jokic is out there. They are going to attack him. They are going to put the Nuggets in rotation. They are going to try to get Denver to break uh, because most teams can't play a traditional center against a team like the Phoenix Suns that can go small, that can spread you out and can just switch and, and, and force you to, to give up the mid-range shots that they, that they so are, are just so great at. So I think that Denver's going to have to clamp down in those moments. They are going to have to rise to the occasion defensively in this series. Jamal Murray will have to be great. Nikola Jokic will obviously have to be great. Those guys are going to have to carry the day on the offensive end. But in order for Denver to have a chance in this series, they have to limit the Suns somewhat, whether that is uh, just just marginally more than what the Suns were were given in that Clippers series, or if it's a ton more. And and Denver then gets a little bit more flexibility and leeway. I do think, though, that the defensive end for Denver, it's going to be a defining moment in Michael Malone and Nikola Jokic's tenure in Denver. I really do feel that. I couldn't agree with you more, and I'm glad you made that last point. Uh, not that your other observations weren't right on, they were, but uh, I, I think that's what it comes down to. And my question to you would be along those lines, to what extent do you believe that Jokic can dominate at least uh, Aiton, who will play most of the minutes, although uh, uh, Bayombo gets in there and actually played pretty well, I thought, uh, last night, even made his free throws, which is an unusual uh, occurrence. But to what extent does Jokic have to, or should he, dominate that matchup? Because you kind of look at Murray and Booker, and if the Nuggets get a wash out of that, that's a win for the Nuggets. And you kind of look at Durant and Porter, Gordon up front, and if they get kind of a wash out of that, they're feeling pretty good. Uh, Denver's edge 
would seem to be Jokic and his capacity to affect the game in so many ways, even more ways than Durant or Booker can affect the game. I think that if the Nuggets are going to advance in this series, Nikola Jokic has to have the best series of his life. Agreed. I think he has to be the best player on the floor. Uh, Devin Booker so far has been the best player in the postseason, I think. I think so. Uh, I think you have to say that. After kind of a shaky start, at least in game one, of round one. Absolutely. He's just been, he's been unbelievable over, over this, this past series. And then Denver's going to, they're going to have their hands full on that end. There's no doubt about it. But what I do know is that Denver, if they are going to advance, it is going to be because Nikola Jokic dominates DeAndre Ayton in the one-on-one situations where the last time these two teams faced each other in the playoffs and the Suns absolutely embarrassed Denver, they, Obviously had Faku Campazo and Austin Rivers in the backcourt. It wasn't the same level of perimeter mm-hmm. talent. Michael Porter was a different version of himself. Aaron Gordon was a different version of himself. Yeah. I, I do think But they did the, to your point earlier, they did target Jokic on pick and roll in that series. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, that's gonna be that's gonna be a, a similar thing. And the Suns in that previous series, they targeted Jokic in that pick and roll consistently and and they made all of their shots in that series and they made it really difficult on Denver. So this is going to be something where Denver, they're, they're going to have to score. They're going to have to keep pace. There's only so much you can do with a big center on the floor out there uh, trying to match up with the Suns and their pick and roll actions. But I do think that if Denver can make Phoenix pay on the offensive end, whether that's Jokic dominating the one-on-one matchup or if it's, him forcing double teams and then finding open guys, that will be uh, the way that Denver wins. It's, it's Jokic being as good as he's ever been defensively and, and Jokic just being the best player on the floor in, in general. Michael Malone, over the course of the series with the Timberwolves, increased Christian Brown's minutes a little bit more at a time. It feels like in this series, Christian Brown's not going to have to be a uh, a small part. He's going to have to be a featured cast member in this because slowing down Devin Booker, when you have to focus on Kevin Durant, is a task. Do you believe that Malone has seen enough from Christian Brown to start giving him more minutes and trusting him on those defensive assignments even this late into the playoffs? I do think that he will trust Christian Brown. What that looks like for his actual minutes, I'm not really sure. Uh, Christian Brown was very good in this first uh, playoff series of his career. He is going to continue to get better going to continue to learn the ropes and understand what he has to do. Uh, but the Nuggets defended at a really high level when Christian Brown was on the floor in, in these past five games. And against a team like the Suns, where uh, I, I look at what they did against the Clippers and how the Clippers tried to defend them, they put out a lot of guards. They put out a lot of small lineups, switched everything, forced the Suns to play slower, yep. tried to get them to uh, take fewer shots in general, and then like force those guys to defend one-on-one. I think that Christian Brown is really well-suited to do something like that. And if he's out there and switched on to Devin Booker or switched on to Kevin Durant, Denver has to be able to trust him. They have to be able to live with that. And I think it's a pretty good matchup with him and with uh, Christian Brown, as long as he stays disciplined, as long as he stays focused and locked in. Uh, It's hard to tell with a rookie. And I think that's one of the reasons why, Denver kind of has, has limited trust in him as opposed to full-on trust. But I do think that if Denver's going to win this series, 
Christian Brown will play a part in at least one game and one win, maybe two. He will have to be a difference maker in those moments on both ends of the floor. It can't just be the defensive end. He's got to be able to at least be respectable on the offensive end, too. The rebounding uh, last night uh, in watching the Clippers and the Suns, because the Nugget game, for once, wasn't the final game of the evening. I was struck by the fact that the Clippers, even going small, killed Phoenix on on the offensive board, 17-11, to 11, and for that reason, took 37 free throws versus Phoenix's 24, and actually attempted more shots, 95-94, to 94, from the field. That's a huge advantage in shot attempts. My theory is that if the Nuggets have anything close to that kind of advantage, it's their series in uh, six or seven games. If they can get to the line, if, if they can win that, that battle at the free throw line, that battle on the glass, then it gives them a major advantage. They do have better shot making than the Clippers do. That's one other advantage where uh, the Suns had. Yeah, such yeah, a you won't see advantage. Murray going three for 18 very often. Yeah, that's going to be, I think, that's going to be a, a major sticking point in this series. If Murray goes three of 18, then you could pretty much kiss that game goodbye. But uh, I do think that that's part of Denver's identity is they've got guys who can match the Suns from a shot-making perspective. Maybe not perfectly, because the Suns might have the best shot-makers in the league. Oh, they do. They, they but, shot over 54% last night. They, they, Durant and Booker are killers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's unbelievable to watch them sometimes, and it's going to be a challenge for Denver, but that means that Denver's going to have to win the hustle battle. It means yes. they're going to have to force the toughest possible shots as often as they can, and then they've got to win the rebounding battle in, in, in those events that those guys miss like they can't be giving up offensive rebounds in those situations either so i do think it's going to be very fascinating to see how denver matches up with this uh whether they keep the rotation at kind of a similar way that it is whether they change some things up uh denver they, they believe in their group they believe in the eight guys that they've played right now whether they they open up the rotation or not remains to be seen but they have to out hustle the suns they have to outwork them Knowing that the Suns guys are going to play forty plus minutes every single game, you got to make it hard on them. If if you don't, then you're going to be in trouble. He is Ryan Blackburn, of course. Uh, make sure you check him out at NBA Blackburn on Twitter and over at Mile High Sports, host of the Pickaxe and Roll podcast, and uh, the hardest working guy in covering basketball in this town, especially when it comes from a uh, an, an analyst perspective. So always appreciated, and uh, keep this in mind, guys. The at this point now with Booker and Durant playing together as teammates. They're 12 and 1. They are. For the Nuggets to advance, they'll have to get that at worst to 15 and 5. So a very tall <laughs> task sits in front of the Denver <laughs> yeah, Nuggets. Is, uh, follow Ryan for at? more of it. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate you. Yeah. I, you know what? Um, he made the point about uh, Jokic, and I followed up, but it's a test for Malone here, too. And I think the ultimate test for Malone is do you trust that eighth guy, which seems to be Christian Brown, even if he may come in right behind Bruce Brown and Jeff Green comes in third. Jeff Green played twice as many minutes as Christian Brown last night. Bruce Brown played three times as many minutes as Christian Brown last night. Christian Brown was hardly used last night, and I guess we can argue uh, he was plus seven and ten minutes. 
Uh, Malone might say, well, if it had been 20 minutes, it wouldn't have been plus seven. I'm using him exactly as he should be used in situations in which he can have the most impact in a positive way on the ballgame. I'm not saying that's mm-hmm. below its argument or even that he'd make that argument if we were talking here face-to-face. But I suspect that that would be brought up if the question were posed, well, why doesn't Brown get 15 to 20 minutes a game? It's more like 10 to 13 uh, against the Minnesota Timberwolves, and he did play well. Uh, is is there a law of diminishing returns uh, involved in that? Um, but I think it is a test for Malone. Uh, the TNT guys were talking last night about all the depth that the Nuggets had as an advantage over Phoenix, and I'm saying – what on earth are they talking about? Have they watched Nugget games this year? The yep. Nuggets play, especially in this no, series. No team Nuggets goes more than eight anyway. Guys. Yeah, no, seven uh, or eight but guys. I know they're relevant. not going with eight. They're going with right. seven. And spotting Christian Brown, uh, they would say judiciously, I would say uh, uh, a lot less than they should be. But to me, he's got to trust at least eight guys to contribute in this series in order to win. We will find out when it starts on Saturday. Obviously, you're talking about a much more dangerous array of scorers at the uh, Suns disposal than the Timberwolves. So we'll keep an eye on that this week. But it is the Colorado Avalanche who will be playing Game 5 tonight, a pivotal Game 5 for sure, because whoever wins will be one away from advancing. We'll talk about it next on Mile High Sports. There were plants and birds and rocks and things. There was sand and hills and rings. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. The Colorado Avalanche take on the Kraken uh, in Ball Arena tonight in a Game 5 that is obviously extraordinarily important. The Avs have had uh, their struggles on the ice. They've had their struggles off the ice. Today, Jared Bednar was asked the latest about Valerie Nachushkin's situation. And uh, the only thing about it that was revealed that it was not a legal issue so i guess that is uh something you but, know but that's my, kind of my friend terry know. fry texted me today and uh, i thought his observation was a good one uh this reawakens memories of uh theo flurry in a late 1990s western conference final series with the dallas stars coming down with the flu prior to a key game, it wasn't the flu. And I'm not saying this is exactly the same, but the mystery around it and the personal reasons serving as an explanation, much as the flu did back then, uh, ominous. And as some may remember, the Avalanche lost that series that they seemingly had earned quite an advantage in along the way. In fact, it, both years against Dallas in the Western Conference Final, they they should have won. They were up 3-2 the first year in games, lost game six at Old McNichols Arena, and came back and got blown out in game seven. Uh, the next year was a little different, but they were they won one of the first two games in Dallas, went up two games to one, lost a game four and game five, came back in game six to win at home, 
and lost game seven by one goal, four to three. And that loss might have been the impetus to the win of the Stanley Cup in 2001. But Theo Fleury, I believe it was the 1999 series, um, was uh, impaired and unable to play. Had nothing to do with having the flu. And this, this bothers me in some of the same ways, and nothing from Bednar gives an indication that his return is imminent. No, no, not at all. Far in fact, from I, it. I suspect there is essentially zero chance, no matter how long the series with the Kraken goes, that the Chushkin would be available. Uh, Kale McCarr, of course, also not available tonight. Yes. The penalty uh, that, that we earned on the late hit on Jared McCann, the, the, the leading scorer for the, the Kraken, earned him in a suspension for this game. I think he's lucky it wasn't worse. Well, there, there's but, a reason it wasn't worse, and it was a point that some made in – suggesting that he didn't deserve any suspension at all. No prior record of anything like this ever happening before, which, again, leans into his contention that it was purely accidental. He had no way of knowing where the puck was. Um, I don't buy that completely because McCann slowed down. He clearly wasn't pursuing the puck in the corner. Um, I I buy the idea that, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't, I, I buy the idea that McCarr didn't know where the puck was, and I am less than impressed with Haxtell's rather uh, sarcastic remark that uh, a fan was catching the puck in the stands prior to McCarr delivering right. the hit. That's not That's the case, just but... a load of crap. Yeah. Uh, and, and it calls into question McCarr's integrity. And Dave Haxtell, of all people who uh, coached his share of, uh, rambunctious players, is that the sure. right euphemism? Fair. At North, North Dakota, Dakota. Mm-hmm. is the last coach on the face of the earth who should be whining about late hits. Nevertheless, McCann is out, and, and that's a factor too, but we'll, uh, it's obviously a huge factor. We'll take a look at the avalanche. Now, in McCarr's case, you're talking about the guy that led the entire league in ice time, an average ice time per game. And quarterback of the power play. We know about all his abilities. Uh, it, uh, he, if he is not the best defenseman in the NHL, he is certainly one of the top two or three, depending on what your preference is. And he's not easily replaceable. Now, you have to replace him not only on the power play. That could be Taves. I suppose it could also be Byram or maybe even Gerard, because all three have done that at times. Well, sure. And those are the guys who are on the second power play unit when McKinnon and McCarr are kind of sort of the point men. <laughs> on the first mm-hmm. power play group, they use three defensemen when McCarr is healthy on the second power play unit. Well, they won't be using three defensemen uh, on the second power play unit. In fact, I would think the second power play unit might even be used less tonight in McCarr's absence because the accent will be on getting your people on the first unit who normally play on the second. Uh, Taves is obviously going to be the quarterback uh, in that scenario. Uh, the disturbing thing about McCarr's absence, if it, because apart from one game, I don't think McCarr's been that great in this series, uh, largely due to uh, his clearly not being 100%. Right. He's yeah, I think that's much. the top. He's, he, yes. he says, and I'm he, as, he said I'm as close yeah. as I'm ever going to get this year to 100%, and uh, I'll be playing at you know, whatever exists south of 100% uh, for the remainder of the playoffs. Disturbing thing about his absence, though, 
is that McKinnon, Rantanen, McCarr, and Taves have scored or assisted on all 12 Avalanche goals in this series. Well, McCarr's wow. not playing tonight. So you're down to McKinnon, Rantanen, and Taves. And of the bottom six forwards, Alex Newhook, who's hardly playing at all now, has one assist in this series. That's the extent of the scoring contribution from the bottom six. They have to get some level, not a lot, but some level of discernible production from one or two of those bottom six forwards. Uh, it, it, you're, you're leaning entirely on McKinnon, Rantanen, and Taves for scoring Andrew in, in the series. And Seattle's got two, maybe three times as many guys who have contributed as scorers in this series. And that's why it's 2-2 and not 3-1 or even a four-game sweep for the Avalanche. Andrew Cogliano talked about it, saying we have to find ways to score dirty goals. Our depth guys have to get going in front of, in terms of providing offense and providing goals in front of their net and creating opportunities. At the end of the day, that's probably the difference right now. That was essentially echoed after the game. We played it last uh, yesterday, yesterday's show from Evan Rodriguez, who basically said that they are being outworked. Here's the, the concern when you look at the way these two teams have produced. The Kraken have had 12 goals in this series as well. Only two of them come off their top line. Two of those goals came off their second defensive pairing. And and Jordan Eberle addressed it, talked about that. That was basically, and said that's their style. He said, at the end of the day, we stick to our identity, which is depth. We play quick and we win by committee. So the idea that McCann's loss somehow disrupts their offense, uh, he doesn't have a role like Nathan McKinnon does or like oh, Nico no. Ranton he, does. He's not the that's player not, McKinnon and, is. And that's not the way this team functions. No, they they but, roll line after line. Uh, they play fast. Right. They play I, physical, I, I, I get and they that. get the dirty, greasy goals. I still contend, though, over 60 minutes, they'll miss McCann a lot more than they missed him the other night. Um, Donato is not close to being the player McCann is. Now, you can fill in during the course of a game, and you've got some adrenaline pumping, you're playing at home, and your best scorer, if not your best player, by the way, if Dunn is their best player, he's minus four in this series. You mm-hmm. want him on the ice. I don't. <laughs> uh, the Avalanche stars are dominant against Dunn in this series. I am not impressed with Seattle defensively at all. I am very impressed with Seattle offensively. They're, and they're four check. But, but Donato is not close to being the offensive threat McCann is. And I think they will feel that tonight and in game six, assuming that what Haxtell says is true and that McCann is out not only for tonight, but, but for at least one more game after right. tonight. And I think that the, you're right on what you're talking about the defense, but there's two ways to look at it because their defense has been sort of covered for because the hyper-aggressive forecheck yes, has really disrupted what the Avalanche have tried to do. And... And uh, they've been very good on the penalty kill, too. They have. The and, and it's they've been only allowed hard, one power play goal from the Shockingly abs. hard for the Avs to get the puck out of their own zone. That That is that is uh, something we have not seen them I have agree, a lot of that's challenges. Forwards. That's not defensemen. Correct. And, and I I don't think their defense is But, I mean, their, their defense gets a little covered for because yes, the, the, the reduction of the opportunities the Avs right. have. I mean, and the Avs had 22 shots on goal the other night. It was almost doubled that, up. That didn't have very much to do with the defense. It didn't have anything to do with Grubauer. Grubauer is okay. He was fine, but he didn't have to be scintillating. And that's the thing. In games one and four, they didn't make Grubauer do much of anything except, you know, make the routine saves. And it was one and done. Now, games two and three were very different. 
and they scored nine goals in those two games. Nine of their 12 goals came in It has been a games two and three. Jekyll and Hyde series thus far for the Avs. Uh, they have at uh, times looked really good, resembling the team that won the Cup last year, and at times uh, they've looked bad getting uh, themselves in trouble against an eight-seeded team, and that uh, is no disrespect to Seattle, who's a very good eight-seated team, and also the NHL players well, aren't the NBA team. playoffs. They're not chumps. Right. But, but it, you're, the, you're, the Avalanche have to pardon be me, the seventh better. Seed, seventh seed, two versus seven. Right. But, but, but they have to be better. They they have to be better. This this isn't Lakers Memphis, okay? Where where the Lakers are the seventh seed, and it's a surprise to absolutely no one that the Lakers have three games to one. It is a surprise to a lot of people that this series is two two, and it is uh, somewhat surprising unless uh, you've really paid attention in the series. And it should be two to two because Seattle's clearly been the better team in games one and four, and they had a two nothing lead in game two. How do they find a way to get through that forecheck? How do they go ahead and function without McCarr and take game five? Well, get some ideas. We'll talk about it next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Huge game for the Colorado Avalanche tonight. Game 5 against the Seattle Kraken here in Denver. Kale McCarr suspended for the game. Valerian Achushkin not expected to play. And obviously for the Kraken, Jared McCann out after the McCarr hit that led to his suspension for this game. To a certain extent, that actually feels a, a bit like a, a wash, I think, when you're talking about McCarr and McCann, when you're talking about the, the loss for each team. So that's different uh, in so much as even though the positions are different, they're, they're both significant losses that sort of equal each other out, I think, to a certain extent, in very different fashions. But we know that the challenge, when the Avs have not played well in this series, they have not been able to be efficient and effective out of the forecheck. They've been a little too coy with the puck and not as direct and they forceful. They have not managed the puck, as they say in the trade. No. Uh, they have not managed the puck well on a consistent basis throughout the series. I the think games two and three were okay. They've gotten a games little clever. one and four were not. And I think they have to make sure that they are not so clever in this game. They are still. They have to work harder. Even despite their, their losses. Even despite their losses to injury. They are the more talented team right. top to bottom. They are yeah. simply being outworked, as Evan Rodriguez said yeah. after game yeah, I, four. I agree and with and that if they assessment. match the work level, if they match the effort level of the Kraken, they should win this well, game. You know, you have the crowd behind you tonight, and from a psychological point of view, that should be comforting. Um, you know, the the Avalanche went nine and one in the road last year in the playoffs, but that doesn't help them this year. Um, it, it, Seattle had a boisterous crowd for both games. Um, I thought the incident with McCann at the end of the first period actually helped Seattle. Uh, first of all, it helped them on the power play. They scored a goal <laughs> to take a 2 nothing lead. Mm-hmm. And even as the Avs came back with a good second period and the individual heroics of Ranton to tie it at 2-2, um, you know, the, the Avalanche never had the lead. And, in fact, the pattern of the series has been that Seattle scores the first goal in every game. Every single game. It would be nice if that changed. 
and I think you'd turn off some of the forechecking pressure if you could get a hit by just a goal even. I'm not asking for two or three goals in the first period. That's for other series <laughs> that are uh, the games last night were duds, by the way. Uh, Islanders and Carolina, and I, I thought Carolina just kind of went through the motions at home, which with a 3-1 lead happens. Um, Dallas blanked the wild 4 nothing. Game was never in doubt. Uh, Edmonton just blew out the Kings, and the Kings had their chance to put, if not a stranglehold and uh, a chokehold, okay, uh, on this series in game four, and they failed to do it. They were up 3 nothing. They were up 4-3 late, and they got beat in overtime, and last night they got blown out, and I am convinced they will be blown out again by much the same score in the next game as Edmonton continues uh, to advance. But uh, the key to the game tonight for the Avalanche, I think, is getting out ahead early and really getting the crowd behind them rather than falling behind, which would have the opposite effect and would silence the crowd right. and uh, result in uh, a kind of nervousness that uh, we definitely detected in game one and through the first period of game two. And that makes an awful lot of sense, obviously, when you're looking at the the way that this team could win is, you know, put some pressure on Seattle as opposed to let them play with a lead. That's a team that the way they forecheck, the physicality, they love to play. They're great with the lead. And the Avs have been finding that out the hard way. Although the Avs have come back. They have. In in just about every instance to at least tie the game uh, when they've fallen behind early. They really didn't do it in game one. Uh, They lost 3-1, but the games since then have been uh, a 3-2 avalanche win, 6-4 avalanche win, which was 6-3 until they scored a power play goal in the final seconds, which really didn't mean anything. And obviously 3-2, the, the loss in overtime the other night. But the goals for the series are 12-12. Right. And, and boy, are they get in different ways. Uh, has outscored Colorado on the power play 3-1, which wasn't supposed to be part of the script. In, in this series, the Seattle edge was supposed to come in five-on-five play, and actually it really hasn't. Uh, but the big difference in the game-winning goal the other night uh, and the goal that made it two to nothing were scored in the power play. That's the difference in, in the series right now, why it's 2-2 instead of 3-1. Yeah, the power play for the Avalanche has to be much better One than it has been. One power play goal in four games. It's, it's disastrous. Not good enough. It is disastrous, and uh, it, it's it's sort of shocking to and see And that's your be best that players bad. out there. You can't blame that on the bottom six forwards. Nope, it is your best players, and it usually includes Kale McCarr, and he's not available. So And that, it's your top defensive pairing, too. That ends up being a, a tricky situation. Second power play unit. Yeah. The Avalanche success rate on the power play is 10 Percent, ten percent. Only the Panthers and Islanders. And Seattle's are worse. killing is not that good, at least statistically, based on regular season numbers. Running pretty well right now. A good well, solid no, it's ninety fine now, <laughs> but they were not a good penalty no. killing team during the season. No, and that is why uh, the Avalanche impotence on the power play has been particularly distressing in the series. And, and and I think a lot of that too, when you talk about it, ends up being quite frankly, and this this is maybe my perspective, but I think I've seen this with the Avs before. The playoff goals, and the Avs, the Avs know this, and that's where I think uh, when I watch it, I get, I kind of get I grind my teeth a little bit. The Avalanche know how to win playoff games. They're the defending Stanley Cup champions. That said, for whatever reason, it seems to be, looking from the outside in, when they know they're the better team, they're playing with their food a little bit. It's the playoffs. 
put the net, put the puck on the net, chase it, yeah, get the rebound, yeah, that's me. get they, the greasy goals. They miss goals. the net an awful lot. And I'm not saying I know you're shooting But they're missing corners. it from a distance in corners. Just stop getting it, fancy. It, it, I, I, put I it on the net. I, I understand. I'm just saying it, it isn't as simple as just shoot everything on the net. No. When but, you're getting shots blocked left and right. But, but, I think that's been a problem in this series. Uh, I think they've been a, a little anxious. Uh, they haven't shot the puck, generally speaking, as well as you'd like. And for at least half the series, they've been missing Nishushkin mm-hmm. and the entire series they've been missing Landeskog, people on the power play, and even five-on-five who generally make their presence felt in front of the net. Uh, so so there are a variety of factors going on. And, uh, you know, this is where the coaches get tested too. Uh, Bednar's a championship coach on a variety of levels. Um, his track record's impeccable in that respect. And he has very good assistant coaches. And they've got to figure out something on the power play. For sure. Five, five on five, uh, the bottom six guys need to be better. Uh, but the power play only involves your top players, mm-hmm. and they have not been good enough. Yeah, that, that needs to get better a lot. Uh, on the power play, they haven't been good enough. Inaccuracy, five five, passing up open shots. Five on five, the top two lines. Top two been lines terrific. have been good, and that includes even when uh, Matt Nieto was, was elevated yes. in, in the last game, I thought was pretty let's good. Let's make mention of the fact that there's a reason JT Comper is playing 20 minutes, 22 seconds on average. On average, mm-hmm. in this series, there are only two abs up front who played more than 20 minutes. One is McKinnon. The other is not Rantanen. Yeah. Uh, it is not Lekkonen. It is Comfort. Who's played very well two-way hockey. And uh, I, I think when you get to those bottom six, Cogliano hit it on the head there. Uh, he understands that he referred to himself as that. Depth guys. We talked about the depth guys, and he, he included himself in that. They have to just get their noses dirty and uh, not worry. Look, if, you, if, you're, if you're Ben Myers, if you're Malgin, if, if you're Alex Newhook, which Malgin's, right now you're, Malgin's you're a depth a guy. Malgin's been a zero. Stop, uh, stop sniping. Stop aiming for corners. If you have an open shot, him. make sure it was one that would go in. Okay. But Malgin isn't even getting to that point. Newhook isn't even getting to that point. They, they've... They, well, you give more be minutes and you start making the most of it. Then, well, but they aren't generating anything. That's why they aren't getting minutes. Right? They aren't even generating those kinds of shots. I'm, I'm saying the, guy, the guys are missing the corners. I, I, say that I saw that a little bit from Bo Byram. Now I think Bo Byram's had a pretty good series, but I also think he's missed some pretty good scoring chances um, by missing the net by too wide a margin. Mm-hmm. And I understand, you know, you can't. Always shoot from the middle of the net, right? Uh, and and you're playing even if you shoot the puck wide. Sometimes you do it on purpose uh, to try to get a redirect. And I, I I get all that, but they have to be sharper. And I just don't think psychologically right now they're in the best place. Of course, that can change in one game. And I'm confident if they win tonight, they'll win Game Six in Seattle. I, I think they've got a sense of what. The challenge is up there. I'm not saying it'll be easy to win up there, but there's no reason the series has to go seven. What's your feeling? Do they get it done tonight? I think they do. I think they win tonight and they win game six with McCarr coming back. I hope you're right. We will see. I think you have it probably exactly right at the F score first. I feel confident about it. If they don't, uh, I'm I'm concerned. We will see. 
Obviously, we'll break this down uh, tomorrow and have an opportunity to talk about it as well. I want to thank everyone for interacting with us on the uh, the text line, 303-831-1340. Uh, thanks very much to Ryan Blackburn for joining us and breaking down the Nuggets. NBA Blackburn is the handle there. Uh, Mike Metter had an opportunity to join us from Metter's Masters Foundation, doing terrific work uh, out in our local community. Make sure you check them out at mettersmasters.org. That's M-E-A-D-O-R-S masters.org and see if you can get yourself a sip since you can't get a ticket to the uh red rocks concert from shane smith and the saints you can get one for charity up in the boulder theater on may 8th if you yeah. want to support the matters masters foundation charity uh, I, mean, I know you and i are actually looking forward to going there yes already so thanks so much for joining us uh, we will be back tomorrow for more thanks to danny bailey in the booth andrew detmer in the booth and everyone who's watching us on the website either mileysports.com or on the mile high sports app we'll be back for sandy i'm sean but for now this is my life sports